0: The fact is, all the issues that you see on Cosmos historically are going to port over to the uh, L2 space. Optimism still has no, does not have an interoperability solution. There's still not an interoperability solution between Optimism and Arbitrum. And before people start like coming into the comments saying, "Oh, CCIP from Chainlink is going to like solve world hunger," like slow your roll. It hasn't even launched yet. Uh, it hasn't really been battle tested. Like it's easy to say that when it's just a concept, but until it has a year or two under its belt, um, you know, I would not. I personally would not like trust any bridge outside of like IBC today.
1: All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Zero X Research. we got a great analyst episode lined up for you guys today. And, uh, you know, really liking this new format. So glad you guys are in the same boat with us. It really just gives us the floor to just, you know, jam on what we've been thinking about all week. So uh, we got a, Got another one rolling this week with Effort Capital and REN. But before we dive into the thick of it, quick word from our sponsor, the Hexens, the most hardcore security team in Web3. They're working a ton with zk and novel cryptography, and they've worked with trusted projects like Polygon, uh, including work on their new zk EVM, it's, as well as Mantle, Risk, Zero, Lido, One Inch, New Bank, and more. We are recording this episode on October sixth, uh, and it will be released on the following Wednesday. So again, we're uh, we're battling through some PTO and some time off. The boys are doing a little R and R, so forgive us if anything this goes uh, in this goes stale before it gets released we're doing our best here but we will be back to the regular regular scheduled programming uh the week after this this week we have a uh interview section going live on the thursday of the week um and another good another good episode this one with bitwise again matt hogan and ryan rasmussen make a third appearance i don't know we're giving these guys too much time no i'm kidding they're uh, they're always a pleasure a lot of good talk on ETFs, why it's important, as well as always, we get their institutional viewpoint. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump into the analyst segment, though. Maybe I'll get Effort Capital to kick things off. He was just over in Istanbul enjoying the Cosmos Cosmosverse event, so I'd love to get a recap of that. Um, and honestly, there's a major news event that kind of rolls us right into the governance update segment. So uh, I'll leave the floor to you, sir.
0: Yeah, thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, so just got back from Cosmosverse from Istanbul uh, about a little over 24 hours ago at this point. Um, and I'll start off by saying overall, the the vibes were pretty immaculate. Uh, so despite the bear market, uh, despite I think a lot of narratives in, in crypto Twitter, especially after like the whole OP stack and like the announcement of base earlier this year, um, there, you, you saw a lot of people really think that, like the app chain thesis specifically as it relates to the Cosmos ecosystem was dead. Uh, that L2s were really taking over this idea, commercializing it in, in Ethereum. As we all know, Ethereum and the wider L2 ecosystem likes to like, rip ideas off of Cosmos and really just do it better, better distribution um, and, and what have you. Uh, but like despite that narrative, I think that is still out there um, for those outside the Cosmos eco, attendance was up 20% year over year. So um, more wow. people are still following the, the ecosystem. Um, again, despite like, if you look at Adam prices, Adam prices are as low as they were back in June, 2022, um, a large percentage of the attending attendees were devs, uh, and really active community members. Um, there really weren't as much like professional capital allocators. So I want to say there was like less than 15 people out of the, I think there was over 1700 or 1800 attendees at Cosmo versus year. Uh, so like there was literally like less than fifteen to twenty people that were uh, in like the VC space. Uh, I I heard that SoftBank was there, which is really interesting given like their size. Um, Hash Key, which is like uh, a startup accelerator, and, and they uh, allocate capital to other areas as well. Um, I believe Spartan Group was there. I, I could be wrong, and a couple other like Cosmos specific uh, investors. But um, overall, like you you could think that that is bearish. I personally think that's bullish. Um, You know, devs are still building, bear markets are for building as like the old cliche goes. Um, And I I fundamentally believe and again, obviously, I'm I'm relatively talking my book. So take it with a grain of salt. But I still think the Cosmos ecosystem is the most slept on um, out of like the three or four major uh, ecosystems in the space. Um, The, you know, major takeaways outside of that were. or or strong focus on cross-chain UX. So we got to this point where IBC is arguably the most valid test interoperability protocol, but uh, the UX itself built on top of that still is a little, um, I don't want to say archaic, but it it still has a ways to go. But I think people are going to be shocked like that are coming from Ethereum to the cosmos over the next six months. I think they're going to be shocked to see like how far uh, we've come. So I I think, you know, you're seeing a lot of uh, interchain aggregators. So like, Dex aggregation over IBC, Um, having one account on a chain, on chain A, being able to control another account on chain B, um, you know, making the entire Cosmos ecosystem actually feel like one, like omni chain or one super chain, like to quote, like the, the optimism thesis. Um, So I I think we're like very close. You're, you're seeing a lot of work on uh, better wallet UX, uh, having better fiat on ramps, um, you know, leak wallet, which is one of like the major wallets in, uh, in the Cosmos. They presented like what their like roadmap looks like over the next coming years. Um, And it's really just like a vast improvement over what you've seen, like in MetaMask um, and even Coinbase Wallet, like I still think has like a lot of long ways to go. Um, You know, a lot of discussion in the Ethereum ecosystem around like uh, account abstraction, ERC 4337, like Paymasters and all that stuff. But it sounds like the Cosmos ecosystem and the devs there are much more focused on UX, I think, and are much further along than what they're giving credit
1: for. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to jump in right there because that, that makes sense that that's the focus, right? Is because if you have this network of app chains that inherently have a piece of friction between them, right? Like they are separate ecosystems. They need to connect. They, there needs to be that super, super driven focus on UX, where if you think about some of these other, uh, Smart contracting platforms, like, honestly, any of the monolithic L1s, like, they didn't necessarily need to think about that out of the gates. And I I don't know, I mean, this is, like, an impossible question to answer, but I wonder if that, like, played a role in, like, the very, like, engineering-focused drip mindset versus you know bringing an app to a, to a consumer. Quick shout out to Hexens. As we explore today's blockchain landscape, let's take a moment to recognize them as a premier cybersecurity provider in Web3. Hexens is trusted by tier 1 projects like Polygon, including a security review on their new Polygon ZK-EVM. Mantle, Risk Zero, Lido, One Inch, New Bank, and more. Get a deep dive into your technology stack with the most comprehensive analysis and cybersecurity consulting. Hexens not only uses widely known methodologies and flows, but discovers and introduces new ones on a day-to-day basis. With over $55 billion secured, they cover everything from smart contracts to blockchain to web2 pen tests. Yeah, there's
0: been nearly $7 billion of total value hacked in crypto's nascent history. So it's safe to say your team has a lot on the line. Don't skimp out, take your security seriously and reach out to Hexans. Don't forget to mention ZeroX Research for a free Web2 pen test with your partnership and reach out to Hexens at Hexens.io. Find them in the links in the show notes. But without further ado, let's get back to today's episode. There's obviously benefits of building on a monola. Uh, At least up front. And we see obviously some like the downstream or longer term effects of doing so outside of Salon. It sounds like they kind of figured out a lot of the issues with building on a monolithic chain. But the fact is, all the issues that you see on Cosmos historically are going to port over to the uh, L2 space. Optimism still has no, does not have an interoperability solution. There's still not an interoperability solution between Optimism and Arbitrum. And before people start like coming into the comments saying, oh, CCIP from Chainlink is gonna like solve world hunger, like, slow your roll, it hasn't even launched yet. Uh, it hasn't really been battle-tested. Like It's easy to say that when it's just a concept, but until it has a year or two under its belt, um, you know, I would not, I personally would not like trust any bridge outside of like IBC today. Uh, but there's been a strong focus on on product, uh, on, on applications and user experience over the past like six to 12 months in, in the ecosystem to abstract away IBC. And I think you're starting to see the fruits of that labor starting to play out. And I'm actually really excited to see like what um, the ecosystem looks like at the end of this year and early 2024. Um, you know, on top of that, obviously we, we spoke about it a little bit uh, and it's been on the in mainstream media, I guess, for the past few months. But native USDC officially coming, uh, officially here in the Cosmos ecosystem. Uh, Circle was there and presented like the work that they've done with uh, the Noble team uh, to really um, have like useless uh, uh, seamless transfer of USDC from Ethereum to uh, to the Cosmos. It's gonna be like a really big uh, a launch, like officially when DYDX comes to see like how much uh, native USDC transfers over into the Cosmos eco. Um, Another big thing was like lack of liquidity. Obviously, Cosmos ecosystem is not nearly as liquid as you'd like to see it uh, compared to Ethereum uh, at the very least. And there was a big focus on how do you bring ETH liquidity and Bitcoin liquidity over into the Cosmos ecosystem and potentially like create uh, an an on-chain economy uh, for Bitcoin. So Nomic, uh, which is like a BTC bridge, uh, leveraging Taproot, gave a good presentation. There was a whole host of teams building zkIBC tech to bring mainnet uh, Ethereum liquidity into the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, and I think the last really big takeaway, I'd say, is the uh, ICF, which is uh, not Cosmos Hub specific, but like the foundation for the wider interchain. And they're sitting on like $280 million uh, split up between Atom, Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think about like 80 to $90 million of that is sitting in dollars or maybe treasuries so like the ICF is extremely well funded for the foreseeable future. Um, and I think that the, the Cosmos ecosystem is like teeming with activity. It just, we need to figure out what is that use case that gets users over here. And I don't think this is Cosmos specific. I think the entire crypto ecosystem is saying like, what is this killer use case? Obviously we know it's like gambling today. That's why I'm extremely excited about DYDX. And if DYDX is a good product, I think that's going to create like a flywheel where you see more liquidity and more developers come here to realize how good and how strong the Cosmos SDK was. Um, last thing i'll say and this kind of parlay since like the the major announcement at the end of Cosmoverse was the stride and cosmos hub potential merger so the stride team came up like right at the end of cosmoverse and presented a idea for stride which is the dominant liquid staking protocol in the cosmos ecosystem to be acquired by the cosmos hub um, and their reasoning was that um, you know, obviously, we're seeing a whole bunch of conversation around Lido and alignment with Ethereum, and potentially Ethereum and an LST mechanism uh, into the protocol to ensure credible ne- neutrality and safety. And um, one of the ideas is uh, that Stride proposed, like, if the Cosmos Hub uh, acquires Stride, then Stride can scale to much more billions of dollars worth of uh, liquid staking derivatives or liquid staking tokens, and potentially because the Atom asset is more distributed than Stride and almost every other chain in the Cosmos ecosystem because of how long it's been around. Uh, I personally think that the distribution of the asset is what correlates to how neutral a given protocol could be. Um, And their thinking was, you know, for Stride to to be like the ultimate neutral LST provider, uh, it probably needs the most distributed and largest market cap asset backing it. And... That goes beyond just leveraging the Cosmos Hub for security. That means actual Atom being the, the governance asset of the of the protocol as well. Um, so I'll pause there because I think we can kind of riff on about this a lot, but it, it's a really interesting concept, uh, especially on the backs of like uh, Vitalik's piece on minimum viable trimming.
2: I'll jump in here with a few thoughts. Uh, first of all, on the user experience. I think everyone agrees that there's a lot of work to be done. Even for example, everything like Coinbase Wallet is a better product than MetaMask. After on-chain summer, Byron Armstrong basically came out with a tweet saying, okay, guys, after on-chain summer, I've realized that I wanted this completely dog shit. Uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And if I'm not wrong, he put out like a Slack message asking every employee to like go through the entire onboarding process, spend three hours doing that and send him like a personal memo of like what their experience was and what they can work on. Um, as far as sort of what the use case or sort of like the app for the Cosmos will be, I think DYDX obviously is like a very critical moment for Cosmos but one thing I didn't think about until like what you talked about was CCTP um because USDC is going to be sort of like the base token for DYDX and CCTP is live on Ethereum, Avalanche, I think Arbitrum and hopefully I would guess Optimism sometime soon. I feel like that could potentially be a very big boost. Um versus a world where CCTP did not exist, just because that user experience is pretty seamless. And it's a thing, it's like a back-end technology where any bitch provider can sort of like use it. Um, so yeah, I think we'll see like a significant amount of inflows there just based off CCTP being linked with all of these like roll-ups or like other like chains. Um, lastly, on a note of what you said about sort of Cosmos having like its own like base token you know like ethereum has eve like avalanche has avax solana has like so i'm not sure now that i've thought about it for a while, i'm not sure that a blockchain needs to have like a non-stable coin as it's sort of like base token i i think obviously it's good for the price and obviously you need like the base token for gas fees on most chains but now that like i think about it a bit more, i definitely think that there are gonna be like blockchains where you're gonna see more like usdc liquidity than whatever like the native like gas fee token liquidity is um but that's like a personal thing and that sort of brings me into like the stride and hub merger right now that you mentioned that the icf is sort of like a third bitcoin eve a third like stable coins and a third um like adam i think i'm thinking like does it make sense if this deal does go through does stride want adam or for example like would they want like usdc like which one is the asset that they want more
0: well i think in terms of in terms of like governance right so i think you're saying like if the team plus all the stride token holders wanted to be get it, to get acquired they pro- obviously you probably want to get paid in usdc because it's a more stable form of, of cash um but i think in terms of like governance over the stride protocol uh what would you do? I guess, would you just like lock up USDC? Like where's the world where do you lock up USDC and the amount of USDC you have locked up to a given EOA determines like your voting power. Like that'd be really interesting. The Uh, issue there
2: is
1: you can't just print more USDC to, to to fund things, right? Like circle could do that and they could run circle chain and, you know, they could print somehow print those while still ensuring the other, their backing of user uh, USDC is still one-to-one. Like, that that, I think that's where the idea of a stable coin kind of breaks down in this case. You know, you've seen chains like a sticking in the cosmos, like they, their gas token is IST, right. But you, it still has its own like CDP mechanism behind it, uh, which is kind of interesting. And they still have BLD as well. I don't know. I'd have to think on that more if I really had like a logical conclusion there.
0: Yeah. I, what's interesting going back to like the whole strive hub thing. Um, So the, the team presented it at Cosmoverse. Obviously, there were rounds of applause. After, the, after that, there was like a quick panel discussion with the Stride team, uh, some of the core dev teams, like informal about like the implications. Um, what does this mean for liquid staking? Um, where did this idea come from? And it sounds like the idea was like came on a Monday like at Monday night after a couple drinks, the Stride team, and like the, one of the core dev teams were like, it seems like a good idea. Um, I personally do think that this, there's some merit to to this idea, but I also understand like the other side of it. There's a lot of drama going on in the Cosmos Hub forum right now. It is hot. People are upset, especially a lot of Stride token holders, because they feel like they are getting potentially short end of the stick if this right. merger goes through. It's like, hey, look, I bought Stride for this reason. There's a whole large lot of upside. Stride is valued at approximately $80 million market cap right now, or it was prior to this uh, proposal, but this idea being floated. Um, After that, it it pumped 10% on the idea being announced, and now it's actually down 20% uh, week to date. Um, So, you know, the the market's kind of, it sounds like upset, Stride token holders are upset, Um, but also want to be clear, the Cosmos hub doesn't even have a treasury sizable enough to actually purchase stride at current market cap so um i think we've seen from like the ferrari proposal historically like mergers and acquisitions are very hostile uh you know both counterparties in these transactions never feel like they're getting uh their full value you can argue that stride is not worth it uh at current prices because 80 percent of its tbl is adam anyways um and you could also argue that the cosmos hub uh, should maybe potentially remain credibly neutral and not own a specific LST provider. I see, I see both sides of the argument, but I can also make a strong case for why it actually makes sense. I ultimately think that like the end state is probably not going to be uh, a merger, um, maybe, uh, but I, or an acquisition, I should say. I think what we're going to have to do is probably find a middle ground, which is like some type of treasury swap where you know the, the Cosmos hub would love to have a team like Stride who have shown time and time again they can execute uh, maybe the hub buys out Stride teams and Stride's VC allocation. Uh, Stride team has KPIs and ultimately work on behalf of the hub, to but still work specifically on Stride the the uh, protocol on behalf of the hub. So there's some type of like alignment there between the t- the core development team and uh, and the protocol, and ultimately like maybe the hub also gets like governance rights uh, by buying out the Stride allocation from the team and, and investors, um, but this is going to be a really interesting ride. It's going to probably take a few months for the, the hub community and the stride community to figure out like what they want to do. Uh, but um, really interesting time.
1: We're yeah. Let's, to. let's, let's break this down a bit because we've been talking about it since, since the announcement basically. So I feel like we just jumped to the end state there, but if we rewind and go from the beginning, so stride wants to get acquired by the hub. And to your point, the hub doesn't have a, a a community pool that just has, you know, approximately 70, 80 million uh, sitting in it, which is roughly the FDV of stride today, which by the way, I did not realize it like nuke 20% over the past week. That's pretty interesting. So there's like a couple of immediate questions that come up here. First of all, what's the fair value of stride? Uh, Second of all, which tokens deserve to be bought at the fair value, right? Like liquid tokens, of course, if I'm just an average Joe holding a stride, I, I, I deserve to be bought at fair value. If I'm the team and I'm vesting, I don't, I don't know these specific terms off the top of my head for the stride team, but something probably like a one-year cliff, four-year vest, did my tokens that vest to me in four years, like, am I fully deserving of those tokens because I only like created a half-baked product? Like, should those be bought out at very fair value? I love the stride team. I think they're incredible, but, and I'm not trying to like throw shade at all here. I'm just like saying from a, from an M&A standpoint, like the answer is probably no. Investors, they seeded the capital, took full risk that the protocol would go nowhere. Do their do their uh, token allocations deserve to be bought out, even if they are on that fourth year of their vest? Like that's a pretty gray area. And then what about like additional liquidity incentives? I know Stride had a large portion of its token allocation saved for liquidity incentives, given the nature of the protocol being uh, a liquid staking protocol, and, and liquidity is very important to have a successful product should those be bought out? And th- I mean, prob- maybe yes, because then, you know, you buy them out in Adam. Now Adam becomes this incentive token. Is that a good thing for Adam? There's debate around that. Uh, and then lastly, what about the stride community pool? I don't know the size of the community pool. I assume there's a community pool just given it's a, it's a hub chain or a, sorry, a cosmos SDK chain. And that's like one of the modules that I, I would imagine is, is part of stride. Um, should those tokens be bought out? Like why, Probably not because why would they just buy a community pool? So there's like all these questions around how do you actually buy, like, what are you buying, first of all, and how do you buy it? And the next question is, well, with what assets do I buy it? And that answer kind of has to be a one time mint of Adam. And so if you're going to mint, you know, let's somewhere between 60 and $80 million of Adam, that's roughly four, three to 5% of the current market cap around 2 million. And so you got to ask yourself, like, as an atom holder, do I want to make a three to, you know, three to five percent hit, take a three to five percent hit of inflation for this product of Stride? I see a lot of people freaking out about that, and I'm like, guys, your inflation rate is what, sixteen percent today? Like, it's not going to make a difference. Uh, So that was one thing I find super interesting. Was like. There's a huge debate about oh, we're not minting more Adam. That's ridiculous. But, like, <laughs> if you're minting more Adam to requi- like acquire a really, really good product that people love and generates real revenue, that's fucking great. Uh, the question is, like,
2: is How it going to continue to generate?
1: Yeah. Well, are they willing to accept? Is it going to actually generate meaningful revenue in the future going forward? Like, there's a lot of question marks. And ultimately, I think, like, if we had a perfectly efficient market, Stride would be trading at the fair value of the business. And then you could just decide which tokens get bought out at the full fair value. But we don't have that market. We do not have efficiency. So just buying FDV or buying market cap, like that's that's probably not the fair value if you ran this thing out. And I mean, it's stride is mostly like a business rather than some other like you know, economy. Like stride's not really money, it doesn't have that same level of premium, like you would have to ascribe to some other L1s. So it'd probably just a classic good old d c f but then you know you're doing that on a super venture based like a, a strides like what a just over a year old, like uh, yeah. then, I mean you start getting to, so then you're gonna do revenue multiples and try to do some comparative analysis and do some market you know come to some market uh market based analysis and I mean that's not going to be what it's trading at there's just no way I haven't done the analysis myself, I don't know, but yeah, yeah just to
0: give some like high level numbers and this um so right now stride. About two percent of all atom staked atom is being liquid staked, and when you include that revenue from uh, liquid staked atom, which takes up eight, which makes up eighty percent of all of Stride's TBL. Um, and the other liquid staked assets that Stride supports, Stride has is getting about seven hundred thousand uh, dollars revenue annualized, and Stride actually uh, passed a proposal a few months ago where all revenue actually gets sent to the token holders, which is interesting because a lot of protocols like to uh, be like, oh yeah, but it's protocol revenue, but token holders don't get it. It's going into like our Dow treasury. Uh, and yeah, we I won't go on that, uh, elaborate on that further, but uh, there's a lot of catalysts for Stride. So DYDX coming, right? Stake DYDX is gonna likely be a cash cow. If Stride supports Stake DYDX, which some alpha, I'm hearing they will be, uh, if they do, that could be a huge boon and a huge revenue driver for Stride token holders, and also they're likely going to become the major liquid staking provider for Celestia's new token
1: TIA right off the bat. So hold on, I, I got a question here, and this kind of sort of goes off topic, but not not really. What is the val like? Why? okay so the dydx token was going to make a ton of of fee revenue and st- um, i assume it'll still get staking revenue so it's going to have real yield through trading fees plus token inflation yes that makes the yield quite high it makes it an interesting asset but like dydx is never trying to be money or anything like that so like why like what's the i try to like okay so when you start mapping this out it's like why do we need liquid stake tokens for everything like <laughs> Why do I need Liquid Staked Juno, or why do I need Liquid Staked Osmo? Honestly, like just because they're good products doesn't mean I want the Liquid Staked token. Like I want Liquid Staked ETH because ETH is a great collateral to use across Ethereum DeFi, and Staked ETH is a better version of it.
2: I I want to say that yeah, sure. Like DYDX isn't used for like anything. Um, it's not trying to be money, but. We always want like capital efficiency and access to leverage. Um, I feel like that's just part of human nature or like just an inherent part of the financial system. So, stride products like Stride basically provides that product. Like, there's liter- literally no reason not to use it, right? Um, Has to say something in like a recent Lido forum post that LSTs compete on moneyness, a uh, moneyness leading to a winner take most market and uh he basically said that liquid staking beats all for all other forms of staking which i I do agree in it's just better capital efficiency and there's other stuff that you can build on top of the liquid stake token
0: imagine a world where you could take like the top dividend uh or cash flow generating businesses that distribute dividends to you and you were able to actually like use that in your normal day-to-day life like would, would you not want to use that like that is ideally like or wouldn't you want to use that as collateral for like to, to run's point like uh you know lever up uh on your on your net worth like billionaires okay. most billionaires are able to gain their net worth mostly by levering their assets not through like their salaries but they take the assets that they, they already own borrow against it and then do other forays of business opportunities to like generate more uh, higher net worth and higher credit line um like DYDX would be an ideal form of collateral because it can like lower the cost of capital if you want to borrow against it. Like if it generates 8% yield or real yield in inflation, then you can technically borrow stable coins uh up to like an 8% borrow rate. Um, like there's a whole bunch of, I guess, downstream effects of having a liquid stake DYDX. But to like round out this conversation, because I don't know how much we want to go on. I know we have a lot of other things to talk about, but uh, there's, long story short, there's a lot of callus for liquid staking protocols, like specifically for Stride with UIDX and then Celestia coming. And dependent on the market penetration of liquid staked Atom um, and other liquid staking assets in the Cosmos ecosystem, Stride has a legitimate path to bringing in tens of millions of dollars in revenue. We already see Lido, like how much revenue they bring in. Um, but like, Stride is probably the best, largest competitor to Lido, I think, in the long game. That's my personal opinion. And I think a lot of Stride holders see that and see it as like pretty much a kingmaker in the next cycle if they're able to execute well, which history has shown that they've been really good at executing. Um, and, you know, ha- to your point, Dan, like, how, how do you value that? Uh, and like, where is there's obviously risks associated with any kind of deals like this. Um, and I think ultimately, like, I don't know if the communities are going to be able to come to an agreement. But it's going to be really interesting to see, like, over the next few months, like what the ultimate result is. Um, But it would be really cool to see, like, some more closer alignment with the hub and Stride, whether that means like a a treasury swap or the core development team, like, collapsing into the hub,
1: but specifically
0: to work on Stride. And I don't know exactly what that payment structure would look like, but uh, I think that there's some kind of agreement we could ultimately come to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to force you guys to make a decision on if this is a good or bad idea, but I'll go first. So, and I'll, I'll put some, some context to this. If I'm a stride holder, I don't think I like it because I think stride is a good business and I think it'll continue to be a good business. And I don't think like capitulating at the peak of a bear market or the depths of a bear market, I guess, the reverse peak of a bear market is the right time to be doing this. And I think why some, you know, just like reading through forums and talking to people, It kind of seems like there's a few reasons why people don't seem to love this one i think this is a bit pessimistic and quite frankly i don't hold this view but i have seen it a few times is strides a year old and there was like a one-year cliff on team and investors allocations and like that just hit then there's no liquidity on the stride token so if you wanted to like you know capture some of your your profits or if you're a team member you know i like fund your life uh you can't really do that because if you sell any meaningful amount you're going to absolutely nuke the token price so some are like viewing this as like, oh, the stride teams are trying to get a liquidity event and like cash out, basically. I think it's incredibly pessimistic. Like my personal view, I love and I know you already said
0: just name, like I love the stride team. uh, Vishal, uh Riley, Aiden, like the, the rest of the team. Like I met with them personally at Cosmoverse. I've talked to them at length for many months. Like obviously you never know. I fundamentally believe that they're here. They're one of the, uh, for the long term. they believe in the ethos they're here to build up in the cosmos ecosystem. Um, but like that is a concern, right? So if they can't, you know, get exit liquidity for their stride because they deal liquidity, the asset, but to me, like the, the cosmos hub wants developers like that align with the hub. Right. So typically with illiquid assets and I recently took part of like an OTC deal with them in like a liquid asset asset I won't say the name, but was trying to convert some of asset to uh, stablecoins to fund some initiatives and the VCS wanted you know a 25 to 30 percent discount on that asset. And it's like, you know what maybe that's what we do. Maybe if the hub wants to get ownership of the stride uh, of stride allocation and also have the dev team aligned, Maybe the dev team takes a 25 to 30% cut on their allocation. Uh, And there's like an OTC deal where like the hub treasury swaps to, to buy out the team, specifically the teams that the stride community can still have upside in the asset. Uh, But the stride team is, is aligned for the future. And we also make sure like devs got to eat too, right? Like if we want to be, if we want to bet on the team, I said this last podcast, bet on the team, not the protocol In an open source world, anyone can make a liquid staking protocol, but you Got to bet on like a team like this that have shown over the past year that they're here uh, for the long run. One last thing I'll say is going back to this whole idea uh, about like how to value something. This is essentially a, a two-way marketplace. It's uh, all staking protocols are. That's what all DeFi protocols are. What if a, a large commercial real estate owner owned eighty percent of the properties on Airbnb that were or that were listed on Airbnb, just like eighty percent of TVL is Adam on Stride and then this property owner went to go buy out Airbnb. Would Airbnb, like would the property owner look at Airbnb and go, well, 80% of the properties listed on your marketplace that are drive 80% of your revenue is actually my properties. So I'm not gonna buy you out for your full like value because 80% of your business is just a repackaged form of what I already own. Uh, so like, that's one also thing that I think the Shribe community is like not looking at uh, the people that are very angry. And that's also one of the reasons why the Cosmos Hub community Probably might feel that tried might be overvalued because eighty percent of its product or its service is literally just a repackaged form of atom, which is fair. But you'll never get find like Happy Milligrata, unfortunately. I
1: think right. kind of I think right. that last piece gets interesting though because the Cosmos sub just introduced the LSM that's likely going to get extrapolated onto other chains, and then now like there's a huge opportunity for that to change, especially with DYDX coming in that will certainly eat into the the total of eighty percent. I think, um, and so that's why there's just so much contention around this, I think. And the other piece I've seen is, okay, so let's say the merger goes through stride is owned by the cosmos hub. Now the cosmos hub token holders are deciding which other, like which validator sets win of other ecosystems, right? Because that's where like stride today, the governance of stride decides what the validator sets, which validators within the active set receive the delegations through the liquid staking module. So That's going to be another piece as well. So TLDR, and then let's all make a decision on this and move on. Is if I'm a stride holder, I'm against it. I I'm more excited about the future of my product than the price today. If I'm a Cosmos Hub, uh, if I'm an Atom holder, I fucking love this and I absolutely want it. This is a great way to get a product for the hub. That's it's good business and at a great price and aligned with the growth of the interchain.
2: I completely agree with Dan's point. Um, And just going back to something, I don't think there's anything wrong. Like even if this was uh, like a planned exit or oh, like liquidity events since day one like startups in like we have to do this all the time you know before they even have a product like on their paycheck they'll have oh like we're trying we're going to try to get acquired by x y and z i don't think it's like the worst thing to happen and part of me feels like this is going to be such a contentious like MA event that it might not like ever go through
1: so yes or no try from the stride holder perspective and then the adam token holder perspective
2: I agree with you. Um, no, from a stride holder perspective. Yes, from a atom holder perspective.
1: I'm both.
0: So, but obviously, like, I do have, own more atom than stride, full disclosure. But these are not separate communities. Like, they're the same people. <laughs> like, if you're in the Cosmos ecosystem, you own both of these, and you're most likely own like 90% of the allocation. It's like there's 90% token overlap. So, I think it's funny sometimes where the Cosmos ecosystem, and I'm part of it, We are talking about like sovereign communities it's like bro the same people like can we just figure (laughs) figure out like some kind of middle ground uh but with that being said like yeah you're you're 100 right if you if you think of these as two completely different communities try token Holder, like you're pissed community cosmos hub community you're absolutely thrilled um but i think that there's gonna be some kind of middle ground that can be figured out and um interested to see like what what happens
1: yeah no i think that's the answer is if it's if it's a no yes how do you make it a yes yes and that's probably changing who gets paid and how much is probably that simple to be honest um let's move on to another governance update uh let's let's try to make this one maybe a little quicker but uh effort i'll throw it over to you just because you got the details on this again and we keep talking about cosmos governance updates but those people do love governance so i guess i'm not too too surprised
0: hey man bear markets are are for governance forum posts and uh it's because the Cosmos ecosystem is building. That's why, Dan. Everyone else is just virtue signaling about Ethereum alignment in the Ethereum ecosystem. The only people... That do all are right. All are... right. Get on with it. <laughs> Cosmos and Solana. That's it. The only ones building. Uh, yeah. So Axelar has a really interesting forum post uh, related to their uh, inflation mechanism. And uh, is potentially like signaling that there's a future for their Axel token to go deflationary. So uh, this proposal again, I'll, I'll do it quickly, but it breaks down to the three things: short term, medium term, and long term strategy for Axlar inflation and like the future of how Axlar supports cross chain interoperability. Uh, so right now, the inflation of, of Axel is one percent base inflation, and then 075 percent inflation for every subsequent uh, chain that Axlar supports. So Axlar supports about fourteen uh, percent, fourteen chains right now, and the inflation rate of Axel is eleven and a half percent year over year. Uh, this this proposal um, asks to reduce it from 0.75% for every new chain to 0.3% for every new chain. So that would bring the overall Axel uh, inflation down to 5.2%. Um, they, they also re- are talking about a potential burn mechanism. Uh, so right now, um, if you want to tra- if you want to do a transfer, a cross chain transfer leveraging Axelar. There's like a five bips fee, I believe, and like a 0.5 Axel fee in addition to the gas fees on both networks you are trying to swap between. And Axelar is proposing using that fee mechanism to burn Axel instead of distributing it to Axel stakers. And that they said that uh, at approximately a 20X increase in cross chain transfers leveraging uh, Axelar, if it went from, I think it's about $5 million on a daily basis today, if it went up to $100 million in volume, that that would be enough to counteract up to 10% of inflation of the axle token. So that there's actually like a meaningful pathway to seeing axle deflation and assuming uh, in the next bull market um, and, and assuming like axel are, is a major beneficiary of like the growth of cross-chain interoperability. It's like that's like the short-term plan. The medium-term plan is to have some type of like opt-in um, cross-chain like validation service so that, Uh, Right now, the entire Axelar validator set has to support every new chain Axelar supports. And they're saying, well, maybe that's not scalable in the long run. Maybe we have like, uh, if a developer team wants to leverage Axelar, they need to handpick like which validators they want to opt into their service. And then they need to, uh, the developer team that wants Axelar support needs to pretty much incentivize validators by buying Axel into like a pool. And that Axel is like, Del- is given to the valid or paid to the validators that uh, opt in to support their service. And this would like make sure that there's no new inflation for supporting new chains in like the future where there's millions of chains. Cause yeah, we definitely need millions of chains in the world. Uh, and then like the long term vision is uh, leveraging like ZK like clients. So we're already starting to see this like ZK IBC, but they said like in order to bring the costs of uh, validation for this you know, millions of chains cross chain and for future, um, we need to figure out a way to like bring cost of, of hardware down to like a minimum. And this is probably leveraging ZK like clients and also like having incentive mechanism for relayers. So like that's the overall like uh, AxlR piece. It's really interesting. Um, I don't think you've seen the market kind of move on this news at all. Uh, but this is the type of news I think that's like, really important if you're an Axle token holder, if you're interested in like the supply and demand um, mechanics of, or supply and demand flows of, of certain uh, tokens. Um, and this could be, you if this passes, you can actually see a potential like reduction of supply overhang on the Axle token.
1: So one really quick question and then one more complicated question. Really quick question, is this a forum post or an on-chain proposal today? It's a forum post. It was just posted to Taste Friday, October 6th. It was just posted on the, on Wednesday, I believe. Cool. Okay. So about two days ago, maybe the fourth, that's some quick, some quick mass there for you. Um, But more complicated question. If, so I think of things like ETH and Adam and like arguably soul, whether or not, depending on how you want to take it, like, I don't view those as equity. My mental framework for it is not equity or programmable equity or anything like that. Like it's this is a base layer of money that is used to like f- create the economic activity within an ecosystem, and I do not view have that view for the Axle token. I very much view that as like a an application that has a programmable equity token, and so in that case, do I do I how much do I care if it's like inflationary or deflationary?
2: I think, like, reducing inflation is fine. Like, you don't need to reduce it so much. Um, And especially, I think there's a lot of people out there who sort of create buyback and burn mechanisms or sort of, like, distributing, like, uh, protocol profits to token holders. And that's just, like, not it when you're, like, a super small, like, bridge or, like, DEX or, like, a... 5 protocol, even, you know, like you should be reinvesting all of that money in protocol growth, developers, VD marketing, partnerships, and all of that nonsense. Like, don't, don't worry too much about your token, especially if you're not trying to become money, which like there's probably like only like 10 tokens or even less and that should be really trying to become money right now. Um,
1: Sam's on PTO, so strongly agree for you with you there.
0: <laughs> so what does that
1: look like? So, like, if I kind of like the idea of burn,
0: so I see two sides. I like the idea of burning because it's effectively like a stock buyback in um, to, to well, an efficient,
1: efficient market, market, which we don't have in an efficient market,
0: right? Like, on a long term time horizon, though, that it's, it's equivalent to that. But I also agree, like, we are in the early innings, we have like five on chain users throughout crypto. We have no app- application that's gonna hit mainstream adoption. It's not front tech, like, maybe it's Star's Arena on, on uh, Avalanche. That'll be interesting uh but how do you fund further marketing and bd and, and distribution um if you if let's say that axle token that's being used all that all those fees let's say it goes into the treasury ultimately you want to make sure that there's not a supply overhang if you have a circulating economy like inflation is going to lead to supply overhang decrease in in price of the of the network or of the asset and nobody wants to see that so maybe what's interesting is uh and ultimately like you know the real economy and real jobs, real people want to get paid in stable coins. So maybe what you do is take the fees, bring it into the treasury, and then a a large portion of those fees, at least for the foreseeable future, are OTC'd to teams that want exposure to Axel, but with a vesting schedule. And in return, the treasury gets stable coins. And then we use those stable coins to either pay Axel validators and delegates, or you use that to pay for like strategic purposes, like, business development and marketing and what have you and you know further tech um iteration I think that's Um, a
2: really important point that you brought up there right and when you think of like inflation you think uh, from like token units from the protocols perspective but to the people receiving the inflation they probably denominate that in US dollars or stable coins right so like in the best case scenario, assuming your protocol is growing, then you can slowly reduce um, like the inflation rate over time. But you also have to factor in token prices. You know, like say Axel, the token goes ten X. Like, should the protocol reduce emissions also by like ninety percent? I kind of think, yeah, maybe not ninety percent, but you should like respond adaptively to market conditions and the USD value of your token.
1: That's a good point. Because, so, I, I, I was going to say something semi-adjacent to this, which was, it, I guess, what's the driver for Axlar wanting to do this? If they want to just lower inflation to, like, you know, fit the narrative or whatever, like, okay, that's a bad idea. But if they're just, like, vastly overpaying for no particular reason, then yeah, like, absolutely. But, and I my understanding is the inflation goes to the node operators because they're running a ton of infrastructure. And if you're like, if you cut inflation to the point where it becomes unprofitable and you like get a smaller validator set, bad idea. But if like you can cut it without losing any sort of like without any degradation of your validator set then yeah, like if you're inflating for nothing, that's equally as silly as, as deflating for nothing.
0: Agreed. Yeah. So I think, I think everyone here and correct for wrong is in agreement that, because issuance is a cost, right? Uh, we, we agree that like lowering inflation is, is probably good if you could run a more lean protocol and a more lean uh, marketplace, whatever you want to call it. Um, but now the, to your point, is the deflation worth it? And probably not yet. It probably is not. Uh, but you people also like, if you just take that axle into the treasury, and you, but you still want to fund development or what have you, like that still does create supply, potential supply overhangs on the asset. So the best thing is just, just continue finding institutional investors that w- will buy it OTC at a certain price for like a discount and getting USDC in return. And you have them on like a longer term vesting so that you keep kicking out the vesting schedule for a uh, certain allocation of, of Axel tokens for like the foreseeable future. And then maybe like at the 10 year mark or something, you go look like we have such adoption, like we found product market fit. Um, and now we can actually start burning this axle as like a stock buyback program. But I also think that crypto protocols are um, gonna achieve profitability, potential, potentially a profitability like at a much quicker rate than like web two tech giants have because oh yeah, uh, these are like unlimited scalable businesses. It's just code, right? Um, so theoretically, you have, you're have you much more operational efficient. Uh, we'll see if that actually plays out over, over the next few years. But you can definitely see a world where crypto protocols are doing stock buybacks or distributing like cash flow to their token holders way sooner than Web2 tech giants were able to distribute dividends or, or cash flow to their stockholders.
1: Yeah, there should be a lot less overhead to run the software as opposed to like a full scale business. I, I definitely am I'm in alignment with you on that for sure. But uh, let's move on to Hot Seat, Cool Throne. That is by far the longest governance update we've ever had. So that's what happens when you get. Uh, I mean, to be fair the the stride the stride uh, in the Cosmos hub merger is actually really really cool. And I guess that's more of an acquisition than a merger. Just to clarify, uh, I know there was some contention around nerd sniping over the word choice there uh, on Twitter. So leave us leave us alone. We know the difference. Uh, I'll go first here. I want, a couple of these are pretty long, so mine's relatively short. But I got a hot seat this week, and uh, this one actually comes either a week or two after me putting Thorchain on the cool throne. I got to put Thorswap, uh, a different protocol, on the hot seat. So Thorchain is the base app, Cosmos-based, Cosmos SDK-based Cosmos SDK app chain that operates a more of like a, a deck slash bridge that allows for native swaps between different assets. Uh, we've had Chad Barreford on the podcast twice now discussing different upgrades. Uh, so be sure to check those out if you want more of an in-depth explanation on how ThorChain works. And ThorSwap is the leading front end that sits on top of the of the ThorChain network and allows users to interact with the protocol. There's a couple other major front ends as well. Maybe like uh, I saw there was like 10 to 20, which I, that's news to me. I knew there was like two to two to three, um, so this, this is by far the largest, and they just announced that they're actually going to be halting their operations for a temporary pause, um, and they put out an announcement tweet, and I'll read this piece to you. It says, yesterday, following careful evaluation of the situation in consultation with advisors, legal counsel, law enforcement, the decision was made to temporarily transition the ThorSwap interface into maintenance mode. This action was taken to swiftly curtail any further potential illicit activity. Swaps are paused, but LP actions, uh, their earn program, their borrow program, and their staking actions are, are all fully operational. So all they did was pause their swaps. And this is in response to an alleged uh, North Korean exploit that was being moved through uh, Thor Swap, the front end. And so basically, what happened was there's a major exploit that occurred on Ethereum then they used thorchain specifically through thor swap to move their ethereum based assets over to bitcoin and then hitting the bitcoin mixers and so this is a bit of an interesting situation because it's thorchain and thor swap were not the mixer themselves they were just the like the highway that moved the you know the bank robber from one country to another and, and to use some sort of an analogy here but they like they weren't the car like they didn't actually get them over to the i don't know this analogy is falling apart but the point is they uh they didn't actually mix the funds they were just the bridge to get them to bitcoin which has you know what the most popular uh, mixers and so they uh they're obviously in some hot water here especially the ThorSwap team is like doxed i don't think they're us citizens but don't quote me on that um nonetheless like they're doxxed individuals and the allegation is like their protocol helped the, like North Korea and get the North Korean exploiters. I think it might've been the Lazarus group uh, actually move funds and, and, and launder them. And like, that is not good uh, from a government standpoint, but also like from a moral standpoint, like you don't want to be helping bad actors do things. And so some people are like super, super upset. They're like, Oh my gosh, like this is ridiculous. But the reality is the founders don't want to go to jail. And that's a perfectly rational thought in action. Um, so I don't know. There's like this huge, uh, Tayvano, she works for MetaMask and is like a definitely, uh, you know, one of the the top security experts in the space. And she put out a tweet that said something to the effect of like, "Guys, there's a huge spectrum between the two ends of you know full permissionless decentralization and like you know pure government control." And like, you can't help bad actors, and and we need to use incentives to like drive to help good people and hurt bad people. And it's like this is a hard problem to solve, uh, but the reality is like if your protocol is helping the Lazarus group you're going to get in hot water and like that's not a huge like bar for for me to take a mental hurdle of like that's that's bad and like i don't want to be a part of a system that's helping that either to be completely honest like this is bad but how do we you know we are creating permissionless systems that help everybody equally so it's like huh, god what is this is such a tough problem
2: i think um first of all i have a question actually uh the tweets say that they temporarily transitioned the interface into maintenance mode. But does that mean that, you know, if I have the technical chops, I can still interact with the smart contracts or no?
1: Uh, I don't know from the ThorSwap perspective, but you can absolutely still interact with ThorChain itself.
2: Okay, gotcha. Because uh, I think like Uniswap has like a similar stance, right? Um, Like they can remove a token like from the UI in the front end and make it like invisible. But if you really wanted to, you could go on like Etherscan and still call it a contract in terms of what you mentioned about that like sort of trade-off between like food decentralization and you know like not wanting to fund north korea's nuclear program i think it's hard to me like the best middle ground is some form of governance where you can like blacklist contracts or certain like wallet addresses from interacting with your set of smart contracts just because that's like a pretty straightforward thing to do um and i don't think those would be very contentious governance votes like do you want to blacklist North Korea's wallets from interacting with your protocol? Everyone should vote yes, you know. Um, Sure, that means that it isn't, like, fully immutable. But also, like, if your governance is decentralized enough, theoretically, that should mean that those set of actions in terms of banning wallet addresses, it shouldn't be sort of subject to, like, government or, like, regulator pressure because, like, you can't just force. Um... Like token holders to vote a certain way but of course that execution layer where like someone would need to like manually black this that wallet is always like a risk it's very possible that like someone which should have the right to use like throw or like door chain a government comes in and says like hey we know who you are the protocol dev like we're gonna extradite you uh, blah 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 um, and that's always like a point of centralization but i think it's i think it's a hard baddest but yeah, we should definitely stop funding North Korea's nuclear program.
1: You know, then I run an exploit. And now I have these funds and then I go to ThorSwap. Like that's a perpetual game of whack-a-mole to try to be blacklisting which addresses. And like it, that's, a, that's a tough problem to solve too. And I don't know. I mean, the other thing is like at the end of the day, like that is censorship, but it's not at the base layer. And is that okay? Is that the trade-off we're willing to make? So like the Ethereum block still goes through
2: without the censorship, but it's up to the app to make the censorship. Like, ah, I don't know. I think in this case, just, like, the base layer being censorship resistant is not enough. Like, especially with sort of, like, sort of the original use case of crypto, you know, it lets you escape dictatorships, blah, blah, blah. Like, you need that censorship resistance at the app level for that type of stuff, you know? Like, it shouldn't be, like, some dictator somewhere has complete control or, I don't know, like, the Chinese Communist Party says, Hey, stop this person from using Ethereum and moving his funds around, and you don't want to like face off China, you know. So, I, I feel like it does actually need to be at the app level, but I do not have a good solution for it right now.
0: I mean, like, not to bring in AI and stuff, but like, eventually, you're going to have to have some type of like TRM labs or chain analysis, like AI solution that can immediately tell like based on blacklisted addresses and things, other wallets that's interacted with, like whether or not this is a bad actor and it automatically updates the blacklist and maybe token holders have the ability to veto like a certain address and be like, Oh no, you messed up there. Like that is not like an address that uh, that you think it is and allows kind of like um, governance to veto, but not necessarily generate the, the blacklist itself or the whitelist for example. Um, but it, the fact of the matter is if, Lazarus wanted to convert Bitcoin to Tether uh, or to whatever they wanted, um, they'd figure out a way to do it. Um, they would do some type of OTC deal off of some like China black market. Like it just happens so happens that DeFi allows and permissionless DeFi allows it to be easier. But if there's a will, there's a way. Um, there's always going to be bad actors that are going to figure out ways to get around the laws. Um, and I'd rather, I think at least DeFi, you're able to trace the the flow of funds. Um, and I think that transparency that DeFi offers is a step in the right direction that, you know, doing full, you know, how much illicit activity is done through cash, right? Um, so you're never going to be able to stop this. Um, right. And the, the biggest concern is that the government's, like the US government goes after like the node operators themselves of, of ThorChain. And, and I really hope it doesn't get to that point. Um, but unfortunately, like we've seen that government overreach is a thing um and if that happens that that's going to be that could potentially be like one of the
1: largest like future issues for the crypto industry at large right right and um it wasn't that long ago that Lazarus was just using the avalanche bitcoin bridge to do basically the exact same thing so it's like they're going to go where the liquidity is to your point and like I don't know the specifics of why they stopped doing that and why they kind of looked elsewhere. I don't know if they chewed through all the liquidity. I don't know if Avalanche had something to stop that. Um, So I don't want to just like make something up. But, you know, it's my understanding that that was happening. uh, And now they're kind of migrating to the next source that they can use. So to your point, like, maybe that's the perpetual game of whack-a-mole. Is like we just need to stop (laughs) these exploits from being able to occur, which, again, that's its own wormhole of answers but uh i don't know maybe we can leave this one there because it is like an open-ended question of of how do you solve any of these problems and uh you know render render effort if you guys want to uh to to take the conversation and and give your hot seat cool throne
2: yeah i can go um this week i have a hot seat which is the ethereum church cult. i I don't really know what to call it these days um but basically they're having the lido discussion again for like the 10th time this year on Twitter, at this point, I'm like kind of bored by it. I'm like, okay, no one really cares. Um, but obviously, enough people care for it uh, to be a very contentious debate that's happening in the Ethereum ecosystem right now. Basically, we're having the same argument again: Lido's becoming too big. Is it a problem for Ethereum decentralization? Just to sort of like have the set the baseline. Lido currently, or state deep specifically, currently has around thirty two percent of market share out of all EVE staked, they have 31 node operators, and each one of those node operators roughly has like 1% of all total EVE staked. And I think the debate, don't quote me on this, this debate got started by Scott Cernardo this time, and he basically said that someone using the system in an intended way and in good faith, but ends up being a threat to the system, is a failure of the system. Like, I, I don't think Lido did anything wrong I think it's the incentive mechanisms that have a problem. And I think one thing that most people in crypto can agree on is that liquid staking tokens are sort of like have inherent central- centralizing forces due to the moneyness of the liquid staking token. And I think LIDO was just responding rationally to the system incentives, you know? Um, and now there's like a whole other factor after that Vitalik blog post about enshrining. Um, and people are saying like, should we enshrine like a liquid staking mechanism or liquid staking module into the ethereum base layer? And my personal gut feeling is no, you shouldn't enshrine a mechanism that will interfere with free market forces. That that feels very, very wrong. That feels like almost like a trade commission, like the FTC coming in and saying like, hey, I'm going to break up your monopoly. Um and yeah, but obviously nowadays Ethereum is a lot more complex than it was, you know, like say three years ago. There's a lot more stakeholders in the system. There's a lot more money at stake and everyone has their own goals and incentives. And it, it, it definitely is like a hard debate to have 100%. I have like more thoughts but I'll stop there first.
0: Ethereum did this to themselves. So you would think all those giga that have been building on this for like the past like eight years-ish that they would have realized that this was an issue and it's like what is the Ethereum? Like, I don't want to say the foundations asleep at the wheel, but they kind of are because people have known this has been an issue for like two years now that Lido has been around and we're and they're so focused on like I don't know, like MEV burn to make Ethereum more ultrasound money instead of actually like the real credible threat to Ethereum credible neutrality, which is like not MEV burn and it's like literally like Lido liquid saking. But Ethereum is is valuable because it has the best form of securing digital property rights crypto is all about digital property rights or property rights in an ever digitally growing economy um, and the moment that ethereum decides hey that private entity is too strong and we're just gonna absorb that inwards and or enshrine that and pretty much like a state owned enterprise take take it over like that gets rid of private uh, the the belief of private property in a digital world and in my opinion if they do this ethereum crumbles like I honestly think the entire the entire crypto space looks like a joke if ethereum does something that enshrines lido or liquid stake provider and tips the scales in favor of one or the other um other proof stake networks like solana or the cosmos hub or avalanche like they never were built on this meme of credible neutrality like um i you know i i fundamentally think that um if ethereum just does something like this especially with off-chain governance where you are never really sure like you know, who who has say and who doesn't. Um, the, the, the lines are blurred. Um, I, I'd be, in, you know, I'd be very upset um, as someone that doesn't even like really care that much about the Ethereum ecosystem personally. Like I'd be upset for the entire space if Ethereum did this. I think it'd, it'd be really poor form uh, and they need to figure out a way to just, I, at this point, Ethereum needs to align with Lido. Lido doesn't need to align with Ethereum. Like Lido has fully shown that they're fully Ethereum aligned. And if anything, it's like these loud, actors in the, on the Ethereum side that I don't think speak for the wider community, but um, it's gotten to a point where it's like, you know, can we just get along? Can we figure out ways around this? Um, there, there needs to be like uh, a better way of like communicating our frustration and figuring out like a path forward.
1: I don't have any philosophical thing, like insights here, um, but to me, it's like, okay, Uh, it's like, all right, what are the implications of this? Really? If you like, and you also have to think Lido is no different than any other DeFi protocol or really any protocol built on built on smart contracts today. Like it's not in its end state. It's not mature yet. So we also have to think about what's coming forward for it and like what upgrades is it focused on? And like Lido knows, this is like a hot point of contention and they're not just like saying, all right, well, we're just going to take over the network and you're going to deal with it. Like, uh, you know, I'll let Ren kind of elaborate here, but like Hossie was just in the Lido forums giving like a plan of like, hey, here's how we're going to decentralize further. And like they want to, d- they debate these different things like dual token governance and giving Steath holders the ability to veto different t- proposals and whatnot. And like, there's a lot of different ideas about how to make Lido having a large stake okay. And like, that's hard for me to be like, oh, well, just because it's over the, the threshold of 33% um, and they can, you know, cr- cause some turbulence in the network, like that doesn't necessarily mean That's the be all end all state. Like today there's 31 node operators and they each have about 1.18% stake uh, with like the last seven or so having slightly less than that. Um, I don't know. That's, that's tough for me to get like all bent out of shape about. But like, I, I do understand why some of the core ETH devs have like very philosophical debates about why this is okay or not okay. And, you know, they're, they're obviously entitled to that like that's why they've been building ethereum for the last what nine years now 10 years so i I get it i i I definitely get it
2: i think like the free market did free market things you know i don't know why (laughs) like you're very surprised by that and i think there's like two things that i just fundamentally like don't really get one is that lido is a business I think everyone kind of understands that and 99.99999% of their profits come from Ethereum, you know. They, they know that Ethereum as like a credibility neutral base layer, if it loses that, then chances are the price of ETH goes down and that also means they lose any profits that they were going to make and their cash flows nuke by 99% and they cease to exist, you know. Like, sure, like 32% is like a scary number, but it's not like Lido's going out there and saying like, oh, ha ha ha, we can like prevent finalization on Ethereum now, we can show you guys like, it's very apparent that all of the actors within Lido are here for the benefit of Ethereum. And they've made that very, very clear. And I want to, hold on, let
1: me ask you a question on that point because, okay, so there's 31 uh, node operators. And so if they all, let's say, let's say they had 40%. No, let's say they had exactly one third. If they all colluded together and made a decision that they're like, Hey, we're going to cause some finalization drama here. I'm assuming that that's possible. But that would take them all colluding together to do that, which they're financially motivated not to do.
2: Yeah, exactly. And they have 31 node operators today. It's probably some of the largest like centralized exchanges. Like Coinbase, uh like probably what 17, 18 billion dollar company, is not gonna take that risk of colluding with someone else because they themselves have something at stake. You know, sure. If you're like a super small node operator running like a I don't know. I don't like a five million dollar fund, or just some like random company that somehow got uh chosen to be a node operator. Sure, I could see like why you might decide to like collude together and you keep and then, like have like a massive Eve short on. But there's also like large node operators, which, a party I think is a good thing. To be honest, um, obviously like we want to see more homestakers, but then again, like Lido onboard's node operators at a decently freaking rate. And with new technologies such as DBT permissionless staking modules, like Hasu explicitly outlines that their goal is to have 5,000 node operators uh, in three years' time. Like, that's very different from 31 node operators, which today are very decentralized already. You know, it, it would take an incredible amount of coordination from the node operators or like global regulatory bodies across the world in order for them to collude and just mess with Ethereum. Um, and yeah, like like you mentioned, Hasu put out a great post the other day on the Lido forums about sort of proposed goals for Lido DAO to consider. You know, um, they say Lido's main goal is to keep Ethereum decentralized, accessible, and resistant to censorship. And I think they've really thought this through, to be honest. Like Lido has an ongoing scorecard on the website where they say what have we done well, what uh, have we done like okay, but we can improve, and what needs improvement. I'll, I'll read out some of these. Um, Under what we're doing well, but can improve, one of them is no operator has more than 1% of the total stake. And they acknowledge that, sure, like a few of the operators have between 1% and 2% of total EVE stake. They're looking for geographic distribution and jurisdictional distribution. Um, They're looking for distribution in on-premise infrastructure and different cloud service providers, client security. Node operators are disincentivized from acting maliciously. And that's from a slightly more like infrastructure and technical perspective but also on the governance perspective right a lot of their needs improvement for example LIDO governance have significant safeguards which it doesn't really today and there's a robust set of vital governance that it gets, which it also doesn't have and i would argue that like a good governance system requires like a well incentivized and robust set of delegates and for example stake thief being able to sort of veto potential governance votes like that's such a no-brainer and as a stake deep holder, I also wouldn't want to nuke, like, whatever is, like, the price of ETH because that would mean the price of my stake deep also goes down. So there's like, just a lot of these things that lead me to believe that, like, LIDO's in it for good. Like, I'm not that worried. They're doing everything they can to sort of decentralize in the node, node operator set, and they're aware of their constraints today. Sure. Hasu makes it, like, very, very explicit in this forum proposal that, like, stake thief or these liquid staking tokens are money, right? Um, and they compete on that, basically. And to even goes so far to say, serving only 30% of stakers is not a long-term sustainable position in an environment with high network effects. And I think that's totally fair. That's totally rational, right? Um, Like, even if one day staked ETH becomes 70% of all total ETH stake, Caveat here, like, Hasui's goal is 50%. Um, of stakers choose to stake with Lido in like three years but even if stake it becomes 70% like there are benefits to the underlying like liquidity and like the network effects and a lack of fragmentation if that's the case like I don't want a scenario where there's like 20 different liquid staking tokens all with fragmented liquidity and EF foundation devs and researchers are like oh my god the liquid staking market is like decentralized we don't have a centralization risk anymore yay but it's like a shit user experience you know um so yeah i'm 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 really against like whoever is like saying like leto's a problem right now i I really really don't think it's a problem
0: i think in a full on-chain economy like we also got to remember there's only so much like on-chain economic game theory you can do to prevent centralization forces of like off-chain market actors um and obviously, we're working on some of this for like the damn, like with staking tax are proposing for the hub. But like the, the real thing I want to drive at is like Lido is making a credible effort here. And it's, it's obvious. There's certain things maybe Ethereum can do to try to. Um, I mean, I think Ethereum's kind of stuck because of this whole credible neutrality meme. But um, like, again, there's only so much like economic on chain game theory you can do. Like, as long as um, there's reputations, there's off chain reputation, uh, you know, at play here. Um, and maybe there's certain mechanisms that Lido can do to further solve the principal agent problem between validators and delegates to ensure the like, the long-term viability of their protocol and like long-term viability and security of Ethereum. Um, but I mean, I think you, you explained it all really well, Ren. Like this is, it's getting, it's also tiresome um, at this point. Like Lido is aligned with Ethereum. It's, it's clear as day. It's like the average person that's not like super hopped up on this, like Ethereum maxi like meme
1: yeah i just got one more thing uh and then david i'll kick it over to you for your cool throne this week but uh, i just want to clarify just because this is a hotly top hotly debated topic and i want to make sure we get this piece right is today there's 31 node operators but none of them are actually centralized exchanges that doesn't mean like that there's not large companies operating these things so just example some of the names is like block daemon uh all nodes you have people like consensus and nethermind as well as course one and jump crypto in there so it's like that's still true, but I, I just want to make sure there are no centralized exchanges that are currently running notes. But David, I'll, I'll but effort capital. I'll kick it over to you. Is this the last hot tea cool throne? Yeah, it is.
0: Okay, all right. So this is not crypto related, but on my cool throne, I'm putting Lil Wayne and Drake this week. So uh, Lil Wayne and Drake both released new albums, and I'm super hyped up to listen uh, over this weekend. Um, so Lil Wayne dropped the fix before the six because I think his last uh, album is the Carter Five. Um, and then just this morning, Drake released for all the dogs. So uh, I'm personally excited about this. And I'm just putting them both on the cool throne because I always love listening to new music. And I was kind of getting sick of my, uh, my normal rotation.
1: Cool throne before the listen. Follow Effort Capital on Twitter for more great music <laughs> recommendations. But thanks a lot, guys. Another great episode. See y'all next week.